fan drive time here. Tom Young, David Sis with us behind the scenes. I hope everybody enjoyed the past couple of days. Hopefully you got some time with family and friends and whoever you hold dear, including time with the Toronto Maple Leafs last night, getting back at it with a win. And we've changed our top story about four times today leading into the start of this one uh, show. Before we get into that, how you doing? Thrilled to be with you for the rest of the week here on Fan Drive Time. Mr. Brent Gunning, I am doing well. I uh, ate too much, slept too little over the uh, Christmas uh, holiday weekend past week or so. I don't know about you, my like the but holidays. Just hold on, hold on. That's a regular week for you. You're up until four <laughs> in the morning and eating way too much McDonald's all the time. So what changed? What changed? Uh, well, first of all, I guess getting married last year is what, hey, <laughs> is what changed. That, that's all. That's always a big part of that. But. I uh, I can confidently say that for I don't know what, how it is with uh, the Gunning household, but my family is extremely extremely large. So even just like a small immediate family thing is like eight or nine people. So I uh, yeah, like I said, it's not not a lot of uh, sleep going on, uh, not particularly restful, but a lot of fun. So I hope everyone had a safe and happy holidays. There we go. There we go. Uh, happy, happy to hear it. And uh, yeah, we uh, we will get into our, our top story again. It's uh, fan drive time. We'll be here with you five to seven uh, for for the rest of the week. Uh, Ennis and Murphy will be back uh, when they're back. You know, hey, they deserve uh, a little time off. We're talking about how much we enjoyed ours. They'll they'll continue uh, to to enjoy theirs. Uh, today's top story brought to you by Thornhill Toyota, your local Toyota store since 1969. Come for the history, stay for the future. Dufferin, north of Steels, and you know, show I had a different Leafs topic queued up for this, but. We got a little bit of uh, quasi-breaking news in the last hour here. Morgan Riley, he's been out with a, for a while with this Leafs team. He is expected to return tomorrow. Now, they always throw out that expected caveat because, uh, you know, maybe sleeps funny, maybe he wakes up feeling weird. But, you know, this is a Leafs team that has missed a lot of defensemen. They've missed a lot of players all throughout the year. And Morgan Riley coming back, I, I think it's really, really interesting uh, to see what this team will look like because he has been the not only the longest-serving member of the decor, but the longest-serving member member of the team and it's a little odd that a guy that eats up that much of your cap the team has looked so good in his absence so it'll be interesting to see how he uh slides back in tomorrow night against the coyotes let's say he does come back tomorrow against the coyotes or maybe if they keep him out one more i guess it's the 31st on new old year's night against the uh, abs out in denver but either way when he does slot back in how how do you shake things up because I, I admit, like, Justin Hall has been certainly better than, than he was last year, although it's, you know, it's a pretty low bar when it, when it comes to Hall's play last year. So, obviously, that's not a he's a low-hanging fruit, I suppose. Connor Timmons can be moved around. Like, I'm sure wherever, wherever Riley goes, there will be a ripple effect for the entirety of the, the, the decor here. Yeah, there will. And, you know, part of it as well as Sandine. Now, I haven't seen an update as to whether he's coming back. He is yeah, close as well. The The injury wasn't wasn't quite as, uh, you know, serious as, as what we what we saw for, out of Riley there. But once he gets back, I think you could just go back to the pairs you were running of Morgan Riley and Brody, Giordano and Hall, Sandine and Lilligren. And then you have a lot of capable guys to mix in, be it a Connor Timmons. You know, obviously he's further down on the pecking order, but a guy like Jordy Ben, you know, the fact that Connor Timmons, once all the Leafs D are healthy. He's likely on the outside, you know, looking in. He's a press box guy. I think that just speaks to the depth that this team has. And I think, you know, we always talk about goaltending with this team and the Leafs making it easier on them. I think it's pretty clear as day. The Leafs are making it easier for guys to play defense as well. You know, you look at what Timmons was and he never got off to the start he wanted to in his NHL career in Colorado. And he was about to be sent down to the minors with the Coyotes. And all of a sudden, this is a guy who would be a part of a top six 
for a lot of NHL teams. So I just think you go back to what you've seen, uh, Riley Brody, Gio Hall, and then Sandine Lilligren. If Sandine isn't back yet, then I think you can get a little cute. You can go with the Brody on the left side thing, and then you keep Timmons in, and then you can go with a, a Giordano Lilligren and a, and a Hall a Hall Brody, or, or Riley was actually playing with, with Lilligren at practice today, so there are a lot of different ways to see it. I think I think the other thing we know about Sheldon Keefe is that he's going to try try it all, so you know, Connor Timmons has looked really, really good, but if everybody's healthy on this team, he does feel like the seventh defenseman, so I don't know. That's what I would do. I think if everybody's healthy, you just go back to the pairs you started the year with, with uh, Brody and Riley, Hall, and Giordano, and then the two Swedes on your effectively third pair, although that was your second pair for, for a lot of the year. Uh, if Sandine's still out, then I think you just flip Brody back to the left side, another place where he's just so, adds so much value. Then you have him and Timmons continue to play together, and then you have Riley with Lilligren. So I think they have a lot of options there. I don't know. What what would you do in, in terms of in terms of the Leafs D there? Yeah, I, I think I would get get them back to the pairs you just started the year with and see what you have with those kinds of combinations. And, and again, with Lilligan, for example, and like you said, if Sandine doesn't come back in the next couple of games or the next little while, because like you have not seen an update on him as of yet, but if 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 Lilligan is still in the mix, wherever he is at this point, whether it's let's say it is and it does end up being likely the third pairing, I feel pretty good about it. Like I, I'm not sure I would have had that same answer for you if we were talking about this like right before the Leafs went on that road trip from hell at the beginning of the season. And here we are, the end of the calendar year of 2022. I feel much better about pretty much anywhere Lilligren might be in this uh, pairing right now. Yeah, it just it goes to show how important it is to kind of find your footing in the NHL and this, then just continue to grow from there. I mean, you know, Lilligren played alongside Mark Giordano for a lot of last season after the Giordano acquisition, and it really allowed him to just kind of gain comfort in the league, and you've, you've seen that this year. Obviously, part of that with those two, Lilligren and Sandine as well, is that they had more thrown on their plate because of the injuries to Brody, because of the injuries to Riley. Obviously, Muzzin hasn't played at all this year, and I don't think he's going to play at all this year. Year. And it's it's really important for those guys to continue to take a leap because, you know, we talk about Sandine and Lilligren as the third pair right now. But, you know, when when Riley and Brody were out, they, they were the second pair behind Giordano and Hall. And honestly, given all the miles on Giordano's body and the continued growth you've seen out of Sandine and Lilligren, I think there's a really weir- real world where that is your second pair when when the playoffs come rolling around. And then if you have Giordano and Hall as your as your third pair, you can just kind of shelter them and or not shelter them, but but just asking them to play D-zone minutes, let Sandine and Lilligren be a little more creative offensively. I think that's really, really interesting. You know, the other the other aspect of this with Riley is that he's often had that spot at the top of power play one. Now, they've been running five forwards out there. They've tried Sandine when he was there. You know, the power play has looked fairly good without without Riley. It's had streak. It's been streaky. It's had moments where it's cold and moments where it's looked good. But what do you do there? You know, Morgan Riley has never really, to me at least, felt like a natural fit. At least skill-wise, he seems like a power play guy and on most teams he should be but with this Leafs top unit it's never really worked there with Sandine out I imagine they put Riley back on the top unit and just uh, continue to kind of go what they've been working with but what would you do on the power play there would you continue to try the kind of five forward experiment or or would you want to get Riley you know back uh, up at the top of PP1 the problem is I'm I'm not sure who I would displace off that first power play unit right like I guess who was it just a couple of, I guess it was Bunty. earlier today. Yeah, I, I guess it has to be, right? Because the other guys, it's Tavares, Nylander, Marner, Matthews. The, the t- essentially the core four, as the, <laughs> right? So if, if it, I guess it has to be bunting. And the other guys are pre- performing so well. And I, I don't really want to see Riley on the second unit, which is, I guess, 
now that he's back and he's been pretty good. And I do want to get to him in a little bit. But Yarn Kroc, Yarn Kroc, uh, Pontus Holmberg, Engvall, Giordano, Timmins. Like I guess you could put Riley in there somewhere, but it just seems almost like a almost seems like a waste to not have Riley out there with the core four. Yeah, it's tough because you're paying him to produce points. Like that is that is part of his value, but I just don't know that he's the fit. And it all goes to how you're going to run your two units. You know, if you have a unit that eats up a minute 30 to a minute 45 every time in your top unit, then you're right. There really isn't much of a point to Morgan Riley being out there on the second unit other than, you know, you can get him out there to take care of things as it gets back to five on five play. But if it is going to be more of a split and you get a guy like, you know, Yarn Croak, he's able to show a little more touch. Holmberg has a little more offense than you wanted. Even if a guy like Nick Robertson had clicked with this team and was healthy and was showing he could be a shooting threat there, then I do think you like Riley. But as much as we think of this Leafs team as skill, 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 and that's what they are. They have a lot of it. Outside of that first power play group, it is much more of a, a workman-like group, but I don't know that Riley makes a ton of sense as the kind of facilitator on that unit. So it's a really tricky situation. And then the other part of this that, that always matters as well is the team dynamics. You know, Morgan Riley is aware of how well this team has played without him, and not that he'd feel upset about that for a minute. I'm sure he's thrilled, but you want to get back and prove that you matter. And if all of a sudden you come back and you're no longer on the power play, even though the guy who took your spot on the power play is no longer there, like you always wonder how the team dynamics affect that thing too. It's true, and, and, I, and I think too... With the return of Riley, I and I've I think I felt like this for quite some time when when even when Brody was before Brody had returned, that now now that you're getting back Riley and I I certainly hope that when it comes to the trade deadline, the conversation we're having is not something like oh actually the biggest acquisition the Leafs made of the deadline was getting everyone back healthy like those are the my, I know that's like the most sports talk radio conversation you could possibly have, but I uh, now that Riley is going to be coming back in the next couple of games hopefully before the new year, then I, I do think it probably does decrease the need for the big thing to be at the deadline to be a defenseman. Like, I'm actually not even sure there will be a big thing happening this year at all at this point, given how well the oh, Leafs have been playing. Oh, there, but, will, there, there will be a big thing. They've got, they got $7 million bucks of LTIR space. There's no way they're not going to use that to bolster. I'm, I'm with you. I don't think it's on the back end. Yeah. Like, we just talked about how much we like Connor Timmons, and he can't even play for this team if everybody's healthy right now. But they've got over $7 bucks of LTIR room. They are making a, a, a addition of some note at the deadline. Like I don't think this will be tinkering or a Brian Boyle from years right. gone by. I right. think it's... A, I think there will be a relatively sexy ad uh, from from this so, team okay, at the deadline. If you could pick, are you going Ryan O'Reilly, Bo Horvat, or Patrick Kane? I am going Ryan O'Reilly, okay. and it's not because he scored against the Leafs last night. Although the second he scored, I was like, mm, "Want yeah, that same, guy?" Same. First things first. That's just a hockey, and I know I know I'm about to be doing a Sam McKee impression for uh, all of our uh, Real Kipper and Born listeners who didn't get to hear him today because he's still on vacation. But that's just a hockey man crush. Okay, he looks great. He's wearing no visor out there. He's got the old school Bauer 4500 helmet. He just looks great. Like it looks like every hockey player I grew up watching when I was a kid. And this part. I think like all that is in jest, although not really, because I do think that guy would look amazing in a much better shade of blue and, and white. The other part of it that I think matters and look, Kane would check these boxes as well, but Ryan O'Reilly is really, really closely removed 
from having climbed the mountain, having been through it, having been through the wars, having been down in playoff series and coming back, having captained a team to hoisting Lord Stanley's mug. And, you know, part of the problem with the Leafs in terms of the vets, they've gone out and gone looking at you, Patrick Marlowe, looking at you, Joe Thornton, is they got all the guys who knew how not to win the cup, unfortunately. And I'm saying that a little in jest. That wasn't the expertise Thornton brought here. But guess what? He didn't know how to get over the top. And that's not his fault, but he never did it. Ryan O'Reilly did, and he can look uh, Austin Matthews in the face or not even if he's looking him in the eye, but just his words carry that much more importance because he's done it. And he didn't do it 10 years ago. You know, what are we, three, four years removed from, from the Blues title at most five? So I think that's the guy. The fact that he could take some D-zone draws, you can, you know, really kind of change things up. If you do lose a center, it allows you to to kind of shift him over there, presuming he'd be the guy on the wing. If you want to make it easier on Tavares, you can move him to the wing. It helps your top six. There's a world where you can do the old master plan for this Leafs team and just have three top six centers. If you wanted O'Reilly to kind of center his own line, that's the guy in a heartbeat for me. Horvat's having an unbelievable season, but he has a lot of the same problems the Leafs do. Doesn't know what it takes, and that's not a knock on him. It's just something he hasn't done. Uh, O'Reilly has, and Patrick Kane, it'd be an incredible story. You know Austin Matthews would love it, and I'm sure he would find a little more game in Toronto than he has with Chicago, but if you look at the underlying numbers, not even just production-wise, but the underlying numbers for Patrick Kane this year are dreadful. So, yeah, I think I think O'Reilly is the guy, but, you know, the Blues are one of these frisky teams who are going to hang around. They're not going to get in the playoffs, and it's not going to be overly close by the time the season's done, but they're going to be pesky enough to hang around, and I think that's going to kind of complicate things. But that is so far and, far and away the guy for me, and uh, I should let everybody know that's today's top story brought to you by Thornhill Toyota. Who, who's your guy there? Like, do you have one you, you circle and say that's who you want? I think I would prefer Bo Horvat, but I I do think ultimately it's 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 it, you can't really quantify the experience and the kind of the kind of grittiness toughness that someone like a Ryan O'Reilly will bring. And then on top of that, it does kind of feel like because Vancouver is basically about to rebuild the team, and I'm sure they're hoping they're going to get Connor Bedard, who I believe I think is from Vancouver, right? So I think you want it's a Canucks fan, yeah. yeah. You, you 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 would imagine that's the, the, that's the goal for the Canucks at this point after a truly miserable season. So I got to think they're going to be dishing out all sorts of players not named Hughes and Pedersen. So if that's the case, then maybe Bo, Bo, Bo Horvat is acquirable. But at the same time, Doug Armstrong has just, who is of course the Blues GM. He has never really struck me as someone who, because the, the the Blues right now are five points out of a wild card spot, and they have a minus twenty goal differential. Like that's not not great, right? And I just Doug Armstrong has never been the guy to hold on to rentals when he can get something back for them or overpay for a rental from another team. So it just after watching that game last night, it just feels almost impossible to think boy, some of these guys are going to be on their way out of town and Ryan O'Reilly has got to be number one. I would say Vladimir Tarasenko is number two, but I, I think he has a no trade clause. So I guess, I guess he'd have to waive that or whatever, but I don't, I don't, he's probably just going to depart as a free agent. But if to get something back, it has to be Ryan O'Reilly for the blues. And the, the only unfortunate thing is I'm not sure how much it would cost to go get him. Like if, if like the ask is, I don't know, like a nice, do you do that trade? Because as much as I, you and I have this conversation all the time about mm-hmm. prospects and, you know, tap the sign, you know, always trade good prospects for good impact players. Now, I, I would love to see Nice suit up in a Toronto Maple Leafs uniform. But at the same time, if the if, if it means you get someone like Ryan O'Reilly and you can re-sign him to a relatively team-friendly contract, I know it's a big if, but uh, I think you still do it. 
Yeah, the uh, the second part of that would make it palatable. If there is not a contract extension for a super team-friendly number, I don't think you can do it. And I want to be very clear about this. This is not me saying you cannot trade Matthew Nyes for somebody at the deadline. I just think you need somebody with at least more than one year of control. Again, if there's a world where, and look, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, uh, stop me if you've heard this from before. Uh, he's from Ontario, okay, uh, from Clinton, Ontario, not all that far uh, outside of uh, the GTA there. He spends his summers in and around the area so you know stop me if you've heard this before of a guy who would like to play here but I think if you're getting nice you're likely looking at somebody with a couple of years of term probably have a you know a decent uh you know, a dollar figure left, you know, a guy I think of and he's not going, but you know, somebody like Tom Wilson, he has two years left on his deal. Maybe you do nice for somebody like that who could help you. And again, Washington's not trading that guy as Ovechkin's chasing everything he's chasing and running away from all, all of the questions about Putin. But the, the, that's why, that's what you would move nice for. So I have, I would love the Leafs to go out and make a big sexy deal for Ryan O'Reilly. The other part of it as well. And it's something I touched on earlier is that depending on how many, moves they feel they need to make they can make this a little easier on themselves or the Blues. You know, a lot of teams, if they want to go out and get a Ryan O'Reilly who has a 7-5 cap hit, they need to kind of do a double retention trade. They would likely need the Blues to retain. They would likely need to trade them to a third-party team to retain part of that salary and then pick them on the, the, or take the contract on. The Leafs aren't going to have to do any of that. Now, if they want to make multiple moves, they would still do that to give themselves as much flexibility, but that's going to kind of make it a, a touch easier thing about this. And, you know, just lastly, the, the thing on, on Matthew Nyes. It's funny I'm, I'm doing this with you because I've been thinking about it. He is a rarity in hockey in that he is a baseball prospect. You know, baseball prospects, we hear about these guys in like Bloomfield or Bluefield Low A and oh, they're coming up and they're playing in the East Coast League and oh, he's playing in a Woodbat League this summer. Like you hear these tales of these guys for three, four, five summers. Matthew Nyes has felt like that for Leafs fans. You know, a lot of times the way it goes with a hockey player is they're especially a guy like Nyes, who is a second round pick who kind of popped after his draft year. You draft them, they have a big college season, and you go, wow, is this guy going to come out? And then they don't. But we've done this so many times. There have been Several World Junior tournaments. There was the story of him potentially, or the belief that he might have come out last year. It's just, it's amazing how long we've been talking about this guy. And honestly, the more I think about it, it feels to me like the best thing that ever could happen for his perception is to be traded. Because if the team holds on to him, which it looks like they're going to at this point in time, it, it, the expectations are just going to be through the roof because we've talked about him for well, so that's long. What, that's so, what happened to yeah. Nick Robertson, essentially, it, right? It is. It's similar for sure. I think, and the other part of it as well is that this team doesn't have prospects you know the guy who should be carrying the mantle in terms of prospect wise for this team Rodion Amarov you know he had he had, a, he had yeah. a tumor it was a tremendous health problem that he underwent and obviously that's no knock on him that's no knock on Dubis but there just aren't these guys in the system they traded away so many picks yeah Topi Nimala Roni Hiravine and the Finns we're waiting anytime like <laughs> you just don't have these guys coming up through the system and it's part of where you're at as a franchise but it's also incredible to see just the importance that what the importance that one guy can have in, in Matthew Nyes. But you're right, the Robertson parallel is a real one. I, I'm pretty sure I know no bigger Matthew Nyes booster than John Morosi. Like I'm John, I love when we get to chat with Morosi because he's always like he comes on and gives us like the scoops on what's going on in Major League Baseball. But he always has like a juicy little hockey take, and it's I, I'm pretty sure he's like the biggest Nyes fan in the world. Yeah, him or Sammy Kaz. I don't yeah, know that. The two, the two of, or, sorry, Mike Fuda. Sammy Kaz loves him too, but it was Fuda who said he had like three of the best five live viewings he's ever <laughs> seen for a college player. And like, 
I bet you that guy's seen some players yeah. in college. Uh, <laughs> let me let me let me tell you. Uh, in terms of the, uh, you know, not to not to go uh, super old school fan here and go business of sport go ahead. report, but go ahead. hey, we got uh, we got a little financial news uh, in the NHL today, and no, not the fun one we like where the cap's going up. Although if the league's coffers are a little better, I know exactly which team to point the fingers at. Uh, we'll start with the team fine. The Leafs are fined $100,000 for traveling on Boxing Day in violation of, of the CBA. This is, you know, I, I see a lot of people getting sensitive in Leafland, and I can say that because I'm usually the one doing it. Look, you're not allowed to travel on Boxing Day, okay? If the team felt it gave them an edge, they would take the $100,000 fine every single time. The fact that the players were asked about it, I imagine they're not too upset about it, but much like there are union rules in some of your play, workplaces out there listening and your boss isn't allowed to ask you to do something that's what happened and that's why there's the fine so i that one i have no problem with the other fine uh, about sheldon keith we'll talk about in a second there i might uh, have some other feelings about but well what did you think uh, what was your first blush reaction when you saw the leafs got fined 100k for traveling on boxing day instead of after midnight on the 27th like they were supposed to so i was kind of thinking to myself like this just seems like a really asinine rule and it, it kind of felt like it was going to be you'd have to really trawl through the 500 plus page document that <laughs> That is the CBA just to find it. And thankfully, uh, Elliot Friedman did this for us. So I, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it, it was just like 24th, 25th, 26th off days for uh, and no reason. Any reason can that be changed, essentially, is what it, it's what, how it's been enshrined language wise in the CBA. And the funny thing is, I guess they left at 1030 p.m. Eastern on Boxing Day instead of like 90 minutes later and they would have avoided getting a $100,000 fine. But hey, I mean, you and I have had this conversation many times and I'm sure anyone who's listening who watches professional sports for fun at any point in their time know that, uh, you know, the routines of going to sleep and waking up for these athletes and having their bodies get the requisite amount of rest and so on is very, very important. So, hey, the Leafs can afford a $100,000 fine. I'm not I'm not super fussed about it. The, the 25K fine to Sheldon Keefe for, I guess, telling uh, West McCauley, you know, he had some some salty language in there yesterday. I look, I don't, I don't know how much money Sheldon Keefe makes. I, I would, for the sake of this conversation, I would guess, let's say it's a million dollars. I suspect it's probably more than that, like a million dollars a year. Keep going uh, but, up. Yeah. But let's just say for the sake of this conversation, it's a million dollars, right? That means $25,000 is, I guess it is 0.025% of his yearly salary, if we're assuming it's a million, and like you said, it's probably more than that, that's probably worth it to tell Wes McCauley he sucks at his job. And uh, on the other on the other half of that, I guess, like what are the chances he paid that himself? Uh, it's probably pretty low. Okay, so a couple of things on this. Um, in terms of the coaching salary, uh, if it's a million bucks, Keith needs a new agent because Babcock <laughs> raised the floor when he came here. Now, I'm not saying he's making Babcock money uh, at the uh, five, five plus, if not six plus that uh, he was rumored to be making. But yes, definitely uh, definitely more than, than a million there. And hey, let's uh, let's stay out of Sheldon Keith's pocket for a second other than to say he should still have 25 grand in it. Yeah. The thing that kills me about this is that you nailed it there, show. It is not the comments he made after the game. And let's let's so if the thing that had Keith so incensed last night, if you missed it, and I, did, I don't know how you're listening to me, I'm missing the Leaf game last night. But if that happened, uh, to 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 inform you, Zach Aston Reese takes a high stick in the mouth. He is bleeding. He's missing teeth. There's about two and a half minutes left in over or regulation of a tie game. A four minute power play will, at the very least, put the Leafs up with a um, couple minutes left in regulation or continue a man advantage into overtime. They missed the call, and Keith is in 
sense. He's screaming. Uh, the one gif I particularly enjoyed was uh, wake the, insert choice language here, up west to yeah. West Macaulay. I thoroughly enjoyed that one. If that's all he's getting fined 25 k for, I cannot for the life of me believe it. But after the game, he was asked about it. And this is the thing. You know, people in this fan base are always clamoring. They're sitting here saying, Sheldon Keefe, take the fine, take the fine. And this is all he had to say after the game when asked about the missed high stick. Watching Zach Gaston Reese get sewn up on the table uh, yeah. after the game there is it's a little hard to take, but we're happy with the two points. A little hard to take, but happy with the two points. He didn't he didn't go Daryl Sutter and say, oh, I've been watching Toronto get hosed my whole life on calls. That wasn't what got him fined. It was apparently, and again, it's look, it's possible he said a super no-no word or crossed the line that you, you can't cross. If that's the case, shame on you, Sheldon Keefe. But if all he did was yell at a ref who screwed up at their job, I cannot believe he got fined for that, especially when we watched a guy come into Toronto in Daryl Sutter and yeah. say, oh, league gives Toronto all the calls all the time. I like, I'm not going to get too incensed by this. Like you said, it is, in the grand scheme of things, don't be wrong, Sheldon Keefe would much rather be able to buy, like, a, uh, you know, a nice mid-sized sedan with that fine money, okay? I understand it. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. But, my God, I cannot believe that's what draws blood. That's what draws a fine from the league. Especially after the terrible missed call that that was in that game. Maybe just sit that one out. Uh, I'm just going to say that, because uh, you're spot on, uh, 25 grand is not going to buy you a mid-sized sedan, sedan, okay? That's just, it just won't. Have you gone to the car dealerships these days? I uh, I actually I bought myself a uh, you know I don't want to name the, name the brand <laughs> I bought myself a, a new hybrid in 2022 and yeah we had to we had to tack several grand on more than that but you can you're getting in the market right. there you are not not the car Sheldon Keefe's driving no you're probably you're, right you're getting yeah. you're getting the car brick gutting is uh, is driving all right uh, we got to talk to uh, Kristen Shilton about this maybe she could talk me off the ledge because as you can see I'm a little upset I don't like it the airing of grievances it was a couple of days ago the NHL trying to make me do it again today it is fan drive time with gutting and Ali right here on sports step five nine of the fan we'll talk to Kristen Shilton NHL reporter with ESPN next we're here with you until seven on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan drive time here. Gunning and Ali here with you. Five to seven for the rest of the week. Here with you. Five to seven today. Coming up in about a half hour's time, Trey Wingo going to join us. Talk a little NFL. A lot of NFL. A lot of NFL over the holiday weekend. Love that as a distraction. Let's be honest. Love Kristen Shilton joining us right now. NHL reporter with ESPN. Kristen, thanks for taking some time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Great to join you. Yeah, happy uh, happy to get you on. So, uh, look, uh, the big story in Leafsland today, and uh, you know, I'm I believe it or not, as much as I want to, I'm not going to start with Sheldon Keefe getting fined by the NHL. I'm going to talk about Morgan Riley, uh, likely coming back to the team tomorrow. Now they threw out the caveat of that's the plan. We'll see what happens, but it seems like he is good to go uh, against the Coyotes tomorrow night in Arizona. I think the biggest question is, you know, how do you expect him to slide back into the lineup? This guy has been the longest tenured Leaf, a stalwart of the team for for so long, and They've gone on a pretty remarkable run without him. How do you expect to see him sliding back in? Do you think he'll be back to his kind of normal allotted ice time, or do you think they kind of slow play things a little bit? Well, I think the key for the Leafs in that respect is just don't overthink it. You know, you don't want to disrupt, obviously, the chemistry and 
the resiliency and the way that, you know, this team has kind of built itself around and insulated itself from a lot of these injuries. Mark Giordano has obviously taken on a bigger role. TJ Brody's finding his way back. And now it's time for Riley to get back in the mix. And whether that means they want to kind of taper his usual minutes and let him get his, you know, feet wet, so to speak, and give him some time to reacclimate and get used to the speed and, and the pace and everything again, that's certainly an option, but at the same time, it might just be better for Riley to go back to playing the role that he was and just not have it be something where you're, you're trying to reinvent the wheel and, and think, well, you know, we're doing well here where Riley's been out, so we won't put him back on the, on the power play or we won't put him here. We won't have him play so many minutes. Uh, sometimes that can backfire too because a player coming back off an injury wants to feel confident. And it's a lot like how goalies always say, you know, they need puck touches early in a game. You know, they'd rather get peppered early than, you know, be in the third period and, and just wondering why, you know, they can't stop a beach ball. So it, it may be best for Riley to just get in there, play his minutes, you know, feel that sort of fatigue again and uh, just, just get used to it because things are going to, you know, really start to ramp up here for the Leafs post-Christmas break. They've got the Coyotes. They're going to play Colorado in Colorado and, you know, I think they've got 10 new home games in January. It's a busy month. So I would say just give Riley the role that you know he can play, give him the minutes he can handle. And if you have to pull back, pull back. But don't overthink it. Don't, uh, you know, get in your own way, so to speak. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just not, uh, I think, something that the Leafs, a position the Leafs need to put themselves in. Yeah, like you said, Kristen, they got the uh, the Yotes tomorrow, the Avs on uh, Old Year's Night, and then the Blues, Kraken, Red Wings all at home to start 2023. So well, I'm sure we'll see Morgan Riley at some point, obviously maybe as soon as tomorrow. But let's say he does return tomorrow. Who is the odd man out, you think, in, in, when he comes back? Well, you know, it's tough to say because it, it also depends. You know, you look at Rasmus Sandin coming back as well. You've gotten good returns from a lot of your your blue liners in this situation you've seen timothy lilligren shine you've had mac hollowell in the group so i i would think that it really depends again on on the role that they expect riley to be stepping back into and if there is going to be a change in what he does if they want to you know look at some of his minutes and maybe say okay well if we're if, if we're going to play him less do we want to maybe look at you know pushing out uh you know whoever is, you know, that person that can't help them as much on special teams, or if they want to put Riley back in his regular role, then you're just thinking, you know, who are they going to pair him with and how are you going to juggle some of these defensive personnel? So I think if you're Sheldon Keith first, you've just got to know what you have in Riley and make sure that he's actually going to be able to step in and, and play that role. And then at that point you can kind of look at, okay, here's, you know, what we expect from you. And, and at that point, I think you just kind of look at your, your, you know, bottom two defensemen and you say, okay, this is, this is the change that we have to make. Yeah, there are so many so many pieces for, for Keefe to kind of juggle in that decision. You know, we talk about Riley's place on the team and the importance he has in that room and wanting to get the best version of him. You know, another thing, I wonder how much it will play. And, you know, the Leafs have been a little hesitant to do some of this uh, in the past. But the idea of Mark Giordano, you know, they've had to lean on him so heavily in this stretch. You do wonder if there's a world where now that the Leafs have proven and, you know, I'm, I'm sure the second I now say that everybody's healthy, someone will sneeze and, and end up hurt for tomorrow's game. But, you know, if 
everybody is healthy, you have a guy like Connor Timmons who all of a sudden is in the press box with Brody's ability to flip and play the left side and the right side as well. Do you think there's a world where maybe they do look at some kind of load management from Mark Giordano and not just ease up the minutes he plays, but actually give him the occasional night off here and there, presuming everybody stays healthy? I know, perfect world. (laughs) Very perfect world, especially this season. It seems like every team is uh, really hurting (laughs) injury-wise. But, you know, I, I I understand the the thought process behind that and thinking, okay, well, you know, we're still however many months away from the most important time of year, especially if you're the Leafs, you know how critical, um, you know, that first round is and you need everybody, you know, at their best at that point. But, again, you have to think about what's best in terms of getting there. And I have seen a difference in Justin Hall when he's been with Giordano. You're seeing how the entire defense has really responded to some of these changes that Keith has made. And when you have a TJ Brody, who is obviously very versatile and, and you've got a young defenseman in, in Connor Timmons or a new defenseman who is still getting used to the leaf system and what they're doing, you have to be very strategic about how much you're going to pull back, how much you foresee some of these players contributing, you know, over these next few months as well, because, Giordano, I mean, the the role that he's played and especially the uncertainty around Jake Muzzin, like you just you just can't risk almost not that you think there'd be rust if he takes a game or two off or you peel back his minutes. You think that that's going to you know hurt a, a veteran pro like him. But if he's in a rhythm and he feels good and things are going well, you know, I, I remember, you know, Joe Thornton always saying, you know, he, he wanted to just keep playing because it was like if you turn it off, sometimes it's hard to turn it back on. And if you go too far one way, it can be hard to get the legs going again. And, uh, you know, for Giordano, I mean, the fact that he's been able to carry the weight that he has and, and just the way I think he has elevated this defense in, in the in unexpected ways. I don't know that anyone would have thought he would have um, been such a catalyst to their success to the degree that he has been with all of these injuries. So a night off, I don't know if I see that as much until you're way later into the, the second half here. And, and maybe then you think about that load management. But for now, I mean, still not even knowing where Riley's going to be, where Sandine's going to be when they come back. Uh, I think keep the, the Giordano engine humming, as it were, and uh, let him continue <laughs> doing what he does best. Well, it's funny, Kristen, as we discussed the, the defense core and you know, Gunning and I were firing up the old uh, trade machine in the previous segment about, you know, possible pie-in-the-sky type of targets in a year where the Leafs will have around $7 million of cap space in the deadline next year. But you, you look at the potential targets, and it's just impossible to watch the Blues and not imagine Ryan O'Reilly as a Toronto Maple Leaf. And he rips a goal last night. He won a bunch of face-offs. He skated just over 20 minutes, I think just under 21 minutes. So... We, we all know that Doug Armstrong is just not the kind of guy who tends to hold on to rentals or goes out and overpays for rentals. And right now the Blues, not in a wildcard spot, five points out of a wildcard spot, like I said to Gunnar before, minus 20 goal differential. It just I guess there are other pieces on the Blues that might be traded, but Ryan O'Reilly just seems like the perfect fit to both be traded out of St. Louis and to Toronto. I don't know how likely that is, but I, I wonder... How how much you think an asking price for someone like Ryan O'Reilly might end up being, whether it is Toronto or whether it's another team? Well, I think the, the price would have to be pretty significant. I know this hasn't been a, a great season for O'Reilly. He's been very critical of himself, and he's obviously aware that things haven't gone as well as they wanted to. And 
in St. Louis. Well, actually, it's not true. For stretches, it's gone great. And then they've been really good. And then there's been uh, stretches where they haven't. But uh, if, if you're looking at O'Reilly, I mean, look at what Nick Foligno fetched just uh, a couple of years ago from Toronto. And it all really is about supply and demand, right? It's that if, let's say, you know, just, uh, you know, hypothetically, if the Leafs really felt like, okay, we've got to, you know, kind of get like a, a John Tavares light, so to speak. We need that guy who can come in any situation, play a great two-way game, win face-offs, throw in some offense. You can use him in every situation. If that's what you believe is standing between you and a Stanley Cup, that's a significant return that Doug Armstrong could ask for from an O'Reilly or for O'Reilly. It just depends on how aggressive I think that the team wants to be because he would be obviously that that more rental piece. He's uh, he's getting older. There's there's a, still a lot to his game that uh, I, I think could help a team in a position that the Leafs hope to be in, which is to be a playoff contender. But it, again. I always think around trade deadline time, you've always got to be careful because using the lease as an example, when was the last time that you, you sort of went all in, so to speak, on a player who maybe was in the back half of their career thinking, okay, they, this is going to be our missing piece, whether it's a Felino, it's a Pocanich, it's whoever you want to name, and you think they're going to be the big difference maker. And it doesn't always, and I would even say it doesn't, usually work out that way it ends up being that you you make the move and and it just doesn't ever give you the same level of return that you're hoping for and I think that that is where teams in this flat cap era have to be so careful because you just know that even if you're going you know you're going to stretch yourself so thin and you're going to put yourself in that situation it's got to be really worth something so I, I think it just depends on injuries and desperation but Doug Armstrong would probably be open depending on how the next month or, you know, six weeks goes for St. Louis, he could probably be a, a bigger mover uh, at the deadline and, and maybe start to sell, uh, you know, off some of those guys if he feels like that's what's going to give St. Louis the best chance of rebounding next year if this these next few weeks don't put them in a position to, uh, you know, to really compete this year. Fan drive time, Brent Gunning, Shil Ali, talking to Kristen Shilton, NHL reporter with, with ESPN there. And, you know, you're right. You think of the big names that get moved at the deadline. You know, Giroux was the last one, or the big one last year. Look how that went. Of course, the other side of things is uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning traded for Nick Paul at the deadline, and he scored two goals in game seven. So you're right. Like, you just, you got to find, you got to find the right guy. Uh, I've been a good boy and not complained about the officiating. Uh, but I'm going to ask you about Sheldon Keefe getting fined now. Uh, is it a little odd to me that that's the one that gets fined? You know, Daryl Sutter came into Toronto and said the league has a pro Leafs bias and they have had it since I was a player in in the 80s when I was in Chicago uh, I was a little surprised to see it you know I'm not going to get too bent out of shape it's it's not my money and you know 25 grand means uh, a little less to Sheldon Keefe than it, than it would to me or you but uh, it's a little wild to me that that's the one that, that draws eyeballs do you think there's anything to the fact that with it being the Leafs there's more eyeballs on it and they want to use it to set a bit of a precedent or what did you make of, of Keefe getting fined for giving it to West McCauley in game. Yeah, you know, I I had a feeling that there would be some sort of disciplinary action uh, against Keith for that. Just here's the thing: I, I think you can always speculate that there's some sort of bias against the Leafs or for the Leafs, one way or the other. I think there's always going to be that um, that thought process, and when a, a fine comes down for one coach over another, it, it always raises that conversation. Like, oh, if, it, if Sheldon Keefe was coaching Arizona, would that same fine be levied, you know, if, if he had that reaction? Uh, it, but at the same time, I, there's 
always those conversations behind closed doors about, you know, what, you know, how are we going to get that consistency? And, and when it comes to a, a referee like Wes McCauley, obviously highly respected, he's been doing it a long time. And you, you sort of see the way that Keith went off and, and how angry he was and the words that he used. Um, you know, I, I wasn't surprised. I Maybe the 25K was, was quite a bit. As you say, there's other coaches that have uh, been in, in similar heated moments and not been levied quite that level of uh, a fine. But I don't know if it's any sort of, you know, thing to do with it being Toronto. It, it may have just been that that, you know, that came up on the radar and, and someone decides to really lay the hammer down and not necessarily set a precedent, but send a message a little bit and just say, we're not going to have our officials you know, be spoken to that way. You have to control yourself. And the thing about doing it with Toronto is that everybody's going to talk about it. And it's it's going to be something where other coaches, maybe more so than if Daryl Sutter was fine, they're just going to take that that pause and think, okay, you know, I've, I've got to just be mindful of, of how I'm speaking. So, I, you know, it, it's a yes and a no about a Toronto bias, where if it happens in Toronto, then everybody in the hockey world is going to talk about it, and that can be a good thing. But do I also think that there was something there worth giving Sheldon Keefe a fine for? Yeah, I mean, there there were some, uh, there were definitely some, some words used that he could rethink uh, perhaps at another time, uh, you know, when, when you're even in the heat of that moment, you've still got to, you know, kind of have your, uh, you've got to keep your composure at least a little. I, I know I wouldn't be able to read it on air, but I'd love a transcript. I'd love to know uh, exactly exactly what he said. And yeah, I don't I don't think there'd be many words that we wouldn't have to bleep. Uh, last one b- before we let you go, and really appreciate you uh, taking the time. Uh, actual on ice hockey question for you here: Callie Yarncroke, you know, gets goal last night. Seems to be kind of finding a role with this team. This was a guy who, at the start of the year, obviously he gets the four year term, a little more than two million bucks. You're you're not wondering where the Leafs see him, but it was a, a question of where exactly he's going to fit in because clearly they. They had high hopes for him. Uh, what do you make of Yarncroke now that he's back inside the top six with uh, Tavares and Marner? And and what do you expect from him? Yeah, it's funny, Kelly Yarncroke. I remember when the Leafs announced that signing. I remember getting a text from someone just saying, you know, like that's the Leafs' solution, Kelly Yarncroke. And I remember texting them back and being like, well, yeah. I mean, give it a minute. It's like give the guy a, a chance. <laughs> this could be you know, a really, uh, you know, smart move. And it's the same thing with David Camp. You know, the the David Camp signing, you, you just didn't really think it was going to be that big of a deal for the Leafs. You didn't think it was going to make that much of a difference. And then now, think about where they would be without Camp. And, and it's kind of the same situation perhaps unfolding uh, with Yarncroft because obviously he's dealt with some injuries. The Leafs have dealt with injuries. Uh, but it can take players a little bit of time to just sort of find their rhythm, find a groove. But what Yarncroft brings is a versatility that I think the Leafs have lacked at key times in years past where maybe you need a guy who can play up the lineup, you need a guy who can play down the lineup and be equally successful. Like they've seen – you know, you can use even Pierre Engvall in years past as an example that it, it's great when he can play, you know, with X, Y, or Z player, but if you put him with someone else, he can't produce. Whereas Yarncroft seems like the opposite, where you put him anywhere and he finds a way to contribute and have an impact. 
Uh, and that's something that uh, I think Toronto, when it does come even to deadline conversations, when you have that kind of depth and a depth that's versatile and not just, hey, we have a lot of guys that can mix it up in the uh, in the top six, even though that's where Yarncroft is now, you know that you can count on him in other positions as well. So it makes you less desperate when, you know, February, March rolls around to make changes because you've got, you know, these sort of, uh, call them the Swiss Army guys, who can really, uh, you know, contribute in a lot of different places and spaces. And I just like Jan Krog's game overall. I think he plays simple. I think the Leafs have a lot of flash. I think they have a lot of, obviously, firepower. They've got a lot of guys who will dangle you out of your skates. But then you need a yarn crock. You need a, a steadying presence. And uh, I think that's what he brings. And you just know what you're going to get out of him uh, most nights. And especially now you're seeing that consistency shine. So uh, I think it was a, you know, you had to give it a little time to really start to, to flush out. And if he can stay healthy, all the better for Toronto. But uh, I think that's looking like a really smart signing by Kyle Dubas there. Yeah, definitely. And he can, he can fire it, too. I, I think that was maybe the most underrated thing for the people have noticed. He doesn't get it off all that often, but when he gets a chance to, uh, he can absolutely wire the puck. Uh, Kristen, really, really appreciated you uh, jumping on with us today. Hopefully you enjoyed some time over the holidays and uh, have a happy new year coming up here. Absolutely. Happy new year to you guys as well. Have a good one. There she goes, Kristen Shilton, NHL reporter with ESPN. Uh, what do we think, show? Did I did I harp too much on on Sheldon Keefe and, and Daryl Sutter and, and all that, or, or did I uh, somewhat toe the line of uh, of being a respectable broadcaster at least? I think you harped just enough, like the just right enough. the right amount, you know, the right amount of harping because it's still <laughs> no matter how you look at it, it's an absurd thing. And, I, and I'm glad you keep bringing up the Daryl Sutter thing because he came yeah. he came into Toronto yeah, and said yeah. the league was biased against them <laughs> and have been for 40 years. 40 years. 40 yeah. years. Like if that doesn't get a fine, I don't know. I don't know how this can or how they both at least don't get fined. I don't know. Now, the, now the one thing I will say about Keefe is that he does – now, it's funny because it is such a topic or is such a talking point among the fan base of you see it all the time when one of these calls happens late in the game of – Oh, I just wish Keith would take the fine. And we want him to come out at the mic and say whatever it was he said to Wes McCauley. But the thing about Keith is he is not shy about his opinions when he's on the bench. He lets those guys have it. Like, he is often red-faced, screaming. Uh, when I did not like the call myself last night, it was not all that hard to find a gif of Sheldon Keefe screaming, beat red face because that's who he is. Like, he definitely gets his money's worth when he's, uh, when it, when he's giving it to an official. So, look, again, the fine, far from the end of the world. But I think, I think the reason why people are up in arms about it is just because it goes to what we see with the officiating of, look, Look, you miss a high stick call. It's fine. These things happen. Like in the grand scheme of things, the you, you miss the one-off call. It's okay. But the complete lack of consistency. You know, another one people, I don't know if you even saw this, another one people are all up in arms about is on the tying goal that ended up sending it to overtime. You know, Jordy Ben is picked on a pick play that's yeah. very similar to the one Justin Hall got called for in game seven. And that doesn't get called. And it just goes to the complete lack of consistency. And look, fast game. Probably, in my opinion, the hardest game to to officiate that there is of, of the four major sports leagues and we'll even include soccer in there harder to officiate than soccer I'll go ahead and say it but it's it, that that's why people are so upset is the lack of consistency you see it, it on the ice from night to night and I think that's why people are so kind of up in arms and maybe I'm just talking about myself about the fine well th- and there's also no real 
recourse to really is not that not, not to punish necessarily referees, but for for any kind of op- opposition opposing uh, you know consequences, let's call them for missing a call. And that, I mean that's not an, a hockey specific thing. And people talk about that all the time. Like, well, hold on, see- hold on. Do you think do you think people would feel differently about it? Because the NBA has the last two minute report, right, right. And generally speaking, here and maybe I'm missing something. The reaction I see out of that is. Oh, great. I, honestly, it's so good to know that you <laughs> yeah. know you screwed up 12 hours later. That's great. It makes me feel so much better the next day living with this loss that we all admit it was a screw-up and nothing can be done about it. Like, I was thinking about that, the idea of a last two-minute report. I'm not going to feel any better if the league – I guess the only difference is it makes it harder to find Sheldon Keefe if you come out and say it was an egregious screw-up by the ref. I think I think that's probably the only thing that changes, right? I think you're probably right, yeah, because you're right. The reaction to anything after the fact, which doesn't change the outcome, means pretty much diddly squat, right? I mean, remember the Commanders-Giants game from a couple weeks oh. ago? Oh, and, I know. And, like, the you know, Terry, <laughs> Terry McLaurin, he waves to the ref. The guy gives him a thumbs up, and he gets flagged so immediately after that. And then on the last, literal last play of the game, he gets, like, tackled in the end zone. Pretty clear defensive pass interference. And I think in the equivalent of the last two-minute review thing, the NFL refs said either later that night or the next day that, yeah, there should have been a flag thrown on the play. And nothing really happened. In the end, the commanders still took the L. The Giants still took the win. So what it, what, what does it really serve, really? Oh, that that was so good. Thumbs up. I'm good? No, you are offside. You are <laughs> you are not lined up legally, and I'm going to throw a flag. That was incredible. Uh, fan drive time, gunning an alley. We're here with you all week. we got one more hour left today, including plenty more football talk. Coming up with Trey Wingo. I might even make show talk about the World Juniors before today's oh, up. We'll see. Don't. We'll see. I might torture him live on the air. Fan drive time coming up. we got one hour left here with gunning an alley on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.